the first solution to a problem that you're building for won't be the one that you end up with. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Our guest today is Ariel McKenzie, co-founder and CEO of Grasshopper, a startup in the education technology space focused on enrichment for kids. She's been backed by Techstars, just wrapped up a stint at Launch House. But before that, Ariel and I worked together on the 2016 Rubio for President campaign. In our conversation today, we talk about Ariel's sojourn through politics, how it prepared her for becoming an entrepreneur, and ways she's using those skills to overcome challenges in her current startup. Ariel, we first met on campaigns, of course, and now you're blissfully out of the industry for now. How did working in politics prepare you for your current experience in an early stage startup? I did startups before we did the campaign together and then now back to startups. So I think I've always liked you know, the pace, I would say, is one thing that really prepares you for startup life. Campaigns, you know, they they operate at like a totally different speed than other um, companies, projects, because, you know, you're time bound in your your goals. So I think that was one thing that really prepared me is I know how to work really fast and be really scrappy. I think the other thing it really prepared me for was, you know, you're really standing up something new. So whether it's for a cause or a candidate, you know, you're really having to figure out fast, you know, what, what users, what voters care about. And so you're kind of building the ship while you're selling it um, in both campaigns and, and startups. So those two things really prepared me. And you know, I feel like either there's no roadmap for either a campaign or a startup. So if you're used to that uncertainty, but also that pace, you're really going to love startups too. So Ariel, after Senator Rubio suspended his presidential campaign a little bit earlier than we had hoped, you and I both had the opportunity to go to Australia for the prime minister's campaign for three months and help out, which was a lot of fun. And, and we made lots of friends there. You ended up sticking around for a few more years. And you've also spent a lot of time in the UK. I'm curious to hear how this international experience has impacted your perspective on on business and politics and in any other ways. Going down to Australia in 2016 was really eye-opening. I feel like we got to see some similarities, obviously, with American culture, but also differences, especially in you know the way they campaign. So I think being able to immerse yourself in another culture and really you know, understand it for what it is and be able to, to make an impact is, you know, it, it's like something new being thrown at you every two seconds. You're learning the culture, you're learning um, how to market to different users that are actually, you know, similar in a lot of ways too. So I think the thing that's kind of impacted me the most is like seeing what threads of human problems remain no matter where you go in the world. You know, that we're, you know, we might have some cultural differences. We might say things a little bit differently, but we we share a lot of the same pain. And I think for the the idea that I'm working on now in terms of, you know, the education and parenting space, like I was hearing these problems in every country that I was living in, working in, and it kind of helps you figure out what do I want to work on next? You know, what kind of problems are interesting um, that could be scaled globally? And 
you know, lets me understand like how to really immerse yourself in that user and what they're experiencing day to day. So I think I highly recommend anyone, you know, that's interested in campaigns as well to, to spend some time overseas. It's, it's very similar to, you know, you think you know and you think you understand things, but living and, and breathing amongst whether it's a state or a city um, is, I think, going to be really good for your understanding of your user, your voters' problems and how to reach them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I guess I hadn't reflected on that, but the it, it is the experience of like you're going to another world, and and so you know the the rules of physics still apply. Fortunately for for us, uh, they also speak the same language, but it makes you challenge some of the assumptions about ways things have to be and and how they're done. And so it is a really good ex- exercise in in getting outside of your own head. Um, and, and questioning things. So I, I, I really appreciate you. I, I've never really had it articulated that way, but that's a, a great way to, you know, sort of practice empathy from building a product and, and start to understand that, okay, well, not everyone thinks the way I do. Not everyone sees the world the way I do. And that's a really important skill. Definitely. I think it helps you, you know, I think as Americans, you know, we have a lot of like differences in between even, you know, our ge- geographies, where we live, like our viewpoints. But I think, when you go overseas, you realize we're actually like, we still have a lot of the same problems. You can really develop real empathy for your voter, your user. And uh, I think that's really the biggest thing I took away was there's a lot of gray and living overseas shows you that there's a lot of opportunity to, to help people and meet them where they are. Yeah. People hate politicians in every country. That's uh, exactly. one takeaway for me. <laughs> exactly. And like, even in Australia in particular, like they, you know, they're, they're all required to vote. I mean, that's completely different than, you know, the type of game we play back home in terms of, you know, why, why you have to cut through, you know, as a marketer, as a campaigner, and like, not only, you know, in America, we have to, to not only motivate them to vote for your candidate, but like to vote at all. So I think there's um, some differences there that you can learn and that that definitely apply to startups and customer development too. I think it's fair to say that you haven't had the traditional startup founder career path that typically involves, you know, maybe going to business school or being an engineer at a big tech company. I'm curious to hear what kind of advantages that different background has given you in your your startup journey. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I talk about this a lot because with the product that we're building, we're you know, we're trying to help people break free of the constraints of traditional education, exploration and employment. So, you know, I think being doing things a little bit differently is, um, you know, it's going to prepare you for startup life because there really isn't a playbook. So while there's more traditional um, paths that like other people have taken, including, you know, people on my team, I think the reality is, is that when you're creating something new that hasn't been done before, it's not a small business. There is there's no path, there's no playbook. And so you can really build a company that, you know, takes your strengths. Um, Hopefully you're recruiting teammates that have, you know, different experience than you, and you can build something really neat together. Um, One example is, you know, marketing and advertising and campaigning was very different five years ago, 10 years ago, just like the paid advertising landscape in general is very different for like a startup today than it was five to 10 years ago. And so, Having a campaign background, for example, which is non-traditional, you know, in Silicon Valley has actually been so helpful. Like it is not um, news to me um, that we have to start organic and really build a community online because that's what we've done in political campaigns. So that's one example of I should probably build a company that, you know, we reach our users organically. I should, you know, you could you could create the right type of business for you versus starting a company where um, that wouldn't be an advantage. I actually think jumping around, hopping between 
different um, different ways of going to market, whether it's campaigns or startups, has given me an edge on go to market and helped me understand that we're not going to be able to rely on Google and Facebook and you know do paid ads. Campaigns never have those types of budgets anyways. So in this case, I think it's an advantage and it gives us a, a unique perspective on our problem as well. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Ariel McKenzie, co-founder and CEO of Grasshopper. Ariel, I know you've really adhered to the lean startup methodology, which for our listeners who may not be familiar, it relies on getting a minimum viable product in front of users as quickly as possible. And to do that really successfully, a founder has to ship way earlier than you're comfortable with or or go to market with scaled back feature set, which I know is a, a challenge for a lot of founders that we deal with in the political space. I'm curious to hear what lessons you have learned from your experience, because I know you you really, really um, push the envelope on on MVPs and lean startup. Um, I'm curious to hear what lessons you've learned that that might be helpful to someone who is nervous about going that route. First of all, it's uncomfortable. I think, you know, before if you are used to, you know, shipping products that are fully complete, I think it's it does feel weird to put something out there, especially publicly, that may not be all the way there. But it is important because, you know, maybe businesses and small businesses are, you know, business models that have been tried before. But like I said earlier, you know, there is no playbook. You know, you are in search of a business model as a startup. Like you're actually, I would say, I'd also argue in campaigns, you're, you know, you're in search of a winning campaign while you do it. So, you know, being open to what that that path could be, I think is really important. So for example, like typically, you know, the first solution to a problem that you're building for won't be the one that you end up with. And the reason for that is that, you know, you may have a ton of confidence, a lot of research to back things up, but, you know, things happen that are out of your control. I mean, COVID, like, you know, all sorts of things come out of nowhere and change user perception and behavior just like voters. So I think starting with a problem and being like, I really want to work in this problem space because I know it's a really painful one is probably a better place to start than, you know, I have a solution. It's definitely going to be the final solution because for us, you know, we were building in a space that was changing by the second. And so getting out there, you know, really testing out that problem space was important. We tactically started with landing pages. We wanted to see if there was demand, you know, on both sides of our marketplace for, you know, the solution we were building. But, you know, since then we've iterated dozens of times to really get to a product that we believe is finally solving that that problem really well. But you have to be open to be wrong because you're in search of that model um, from, the, from the beginning. Yeah. And that's such a big culture shock for people who come up from politics where, you know, because it is a zero sum game, you're going to lose. Right. And, 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 and there is a high cost to being wrong. And so I think I'm just thinking about, you know, anytime I've been on a campaign, we're putting out a TV ad, we want to make sure that we have rights to all the images and that we've got the script is fact checked three times and that we've got the sources and the footnotes and anything that a campaign does uh, has to be sort of bulletproof. And, and that's not the way we do things in startups. So I think it is a big mindset shift for founders. Definitely. And I think everyone's MVP, you know, that first minimum viable product is different. And so, you know, the, the principle remains, you've got to ship fast and figure out, you know, get your product into the hands of users. But I think every product's a little different, right? Because everything has, you know, software, a purely software play has less consequences if things go wrong than, you know, like you said, a political campaign or even like an in-person service, you know, for our MVP, 
when we're connecting people from the internet in real life, and it has to do with kids, I mean, like our MVP has to be pretty solid when we put it out there. So you do not get a chance to mess up. (laughs) No, no. And so we have to build out our systems a little bit more and have to, you know, think about what is MVP that still satisfies that problem fully for both sides of the marketplace. So, you know, the, the more work you can do, you know, on, on the marketing side, I think what we could de-risk before we actually put people together in, in the real world was go to market. Like what kind of messages are people, what's resonating with people? What is resonating with our teachers versus our parents? And I think that's something all founders can test before you ever ship something. That's something that's really tough for us in, in in Startup Caucus. And because, again, in the political space, we have a single day of sales, right? Increasingly, it's becoming a, a month-long election day with early voting. But the the principle is the same. You know, you, you only get to decide in an election one time. You don't get to go back and change your mind the next day. And so for our customers, for our users, that pressure is, is immense. And so they have no margin for error. And that that's, I've just, it's been very difficult to to try and implement lean startup in campaigns. I'm thinking that the answer is less sort of a comprehensive feature set, set and solve one problem really, really well, and then iterate that on the next cycle, which is not where your mind instinctively is going because you're like, okay, I know what the problem is. I know what the solution is. I got to build it all. And that's just not the way product works. Totally. Because that's assuming that you really, you know, there's there's a little bit of, you know, having to let go of whether it's ego or roadmap or all these things that, you know, keep us believing that our solution is the right one. I think it's coming in with a really humble attitude that like, I don't know, right? And I, I think I have a really strong hypothesis. I'm going to apply the scientific method to this you know, this product development. And I'm going to go in with the leanest version of what I could build. But I think that's, that's true. Like it's different when you have, you know, these points of sale, but I think starting with something that solves a really, really painful product for whoever your end user is right now. And then being like, we're going to add to this in the next cycle, we're going to make this product like this and more by, you know, really shipping something and focusing and not trying to build it all. One thing I've really been taken by in your founder journey with Grasshopper is that you've got lots of supporters who are mission and values aligned with what your company's trying to do. And they also have incredible skill sets. It's something that we see a lot on campaigns with volunteers. You know, they can do way more than just make phone calls and knock on doors. That is still important, right? But but they, they've got other skill sets. They may be technical. They may be professional. How might a political startup founder tap into this expertise when they don't have the capital to provide a salary or, or other perks? Great question, Eric. I think, you know, building a coalition of support is something that we talk about a lot in campaigns, but startups are very similar to campaigns in this way in the, t- in the fact that like, resourcing at the beginning is never what you really need to, you know, to realize your product vision or at least completely deliver your service. So you have to get creative, just like, you know, why do we have volunteers on campaigns? You know, why can't we just pay them all? I think there's a lot of similarities to startups in the the beginning before there's funding, before you go and, you know, get people to believe in you. The first people you have to convince, in my opinion, are your customers and people around you. Like if you can't convince your customers to take a chance on you, or, you know, you're not able to recruit your friends and your ex-colleagues to your cause, it's going to be harder to build a startup because you're not going to have those levers 
like, you know, bigger companies do, or even scale ups do once you start raising money and taking venture capital. So I think, you know, being really zeroed in on that mission. I mean, that's why people join campaigns. They don't, you know, they're working more hours typically in a campaign than they would normally. Same with a startup. So I, I would say like starting with the mission, not trying to solve everyone's problems. So finding people that really, really care, they're going to be much more likely to, you know, offer up help or share your product or service with their friends, which really is going to help you cut through all the ad platforms and really reach like-minded users. Right. You really want to go after those, those, rabid fans first and, and make them really, really happy and turn them into evangelists, which is exactly what we try and do on campaigns. One of the things that you faced, obviously, is COVID. And that caused uh, a major disruption in the education and childcare space, which we are still dealing with the repercussions of today politically. Um, that meant that you had to rethink your strategy with your business and your platform and your product. I want to hear the story now that we're a few months on the other side of COVID, hopefully, what lessons you learned and how you worked through that pivot. Yeah, this is, we're still, you know, COVID is still here and we're still, you know, building a product that I think has accepted that while you know we may ebb and flow as a society right now that we have to build for a world where covid's not going to magically go magically go away so i think that's the that was a big you know kind of the story when we were you know, early early testing our concepts you know we had to on the fly build things that would help protect our customers right so you know at the at the time it was we still believe strongly in connecting people in person. There are a lot of online education options where you can pretty much go online and learn almost anything you want. But for young kids, especially, you know, age three to 12 that we focus on, a human is really important. And it's really important for them to be able to truly immerse into a topic. But on the flip side, it's also really important that parents have that support rather than a half an hour, you know, online class. So I think a, an important thing was to really sit back and go, should we pivot online? Like can, you know, like a lot of companies did that were live and active, they took their in-person service and really offered the same service online. And we had to like, look at that and say, is that right for us? Do we want to build a product that is, you know, online first and then see what happens with COVID? Well, for us, we were so early in our journey that we were able to kind of ride this out, if I'm being honest, and just, you know, talk to users and really spend a lot of time in customer development to figure out you know, as this lets up, at some point, we're going to move on, we're going to get vaccines, all these things that have happened. You know, are we going to build a, per a service that is going to endure in person or online? So I think that was a big moment for us is that because we were so early, we were able to, to decide to build the service we wanted in the future and get ahead of that. And, you know, of course, put, you know, product, um, put product features in place that would make this safe for all users. So, you know, I'm glad we did that because while we had to wait it out and wait to kind of launch our product, it, I think, you know, now we're in a place where we're set up for a pandemic. We're set up for other things that mirror, you know, sickness where we have to protect users and really make sure people have control over the types of people and, you know, things that are around their kids and their education. So I think at least for us, by being able to be early and look at what was happening in consumer behavior, we're able to, to ride the wave, I think, of parents being like, what is going on with my kid's education? And, <laughs> they're, you know, and they're being they're looking at it for the first time at home on Zoom. And they're they're I, I feel they're open to new ways of doing things now that we're, you know, a little bit further along in the, in the pandemic. 
Yeah, and timing is everything as, you know, as in business, as in politics. And I think it the the thing I want to underline for our listeners who might be thinking about their own entrepreneurial journey is that you really stuck to that north star of not just the problem but your hypothesis around a solution, right? It wasn't a well, I I can't do this and so I'm going to abandon that. You you still had conviction. Uh, you just had to to wait it out, think about how you you get there. So I think that's a really important takeaway for anyone in this space. Yeah, and things take longer than you think it's going to take. I mean, especially in consumer products, like you know the you may see the stories of like this incredible user adoption, but there's usually a really really deep underlying truth that great companies, especially in consumer, are built upon. Like what shifts had to happen so that users are ready to change behavior? Because that's not easy to do. Like people may have problems, but a lot of times changing their current solution to that problem, you know, it takes a catalyst. So I would say like for us, the catalyst was COVID. It actually wasn't um, the problem or the you know, the, it was a point of, if we could pursue past this, if we could stick to, like you said, the North star, then what if, what could be on the other side of it? And I think COVID is an extreme example, but there's catalysts happening all the time. Like what's, what's going on, you know, inside the mountain before you see an avalanche, you know, that's what founders are really supposed to to do, right? Predict the future. And by the time you see the avalanche, it's usually too late. So sticking to your North star, but also being patient is, you know, I think a really important thing we can learn from the whole pandemic. So Ariel, you've been pitching your startup to traditional venture capitalists, and they're typically men and might not have much experience personally with the problem that Grasshopper seeks to solve. It's something that we see a lot in politics with political founders and donors who have kind of limited experience with the nuts and bolts of campaigning, right? They're they're always on the the sort of consuming end rather than the hands and boots on the ground end. But they they certainly make significant decisions about resource allocation. So it's something we've got to confront. How did you over- overcome that challenge with Grasshopper? Yeah. So I think this is, happens a lot, right? The decision makers in an industry or, in a, you know, are not always the end users, the people that at the end of the day are going to live with those consequences. I, I think we see that all the time in politics. And, you know, it's, it, but the people that are you know really campaigning or you know as startup founders we're campaigning for our causes our missions i think you have to understand that you know decision maker for what they are and what they've experienced so i think you mentioned this but in early in our journey we had to understand and we that a lot of times historically you know education products have been marketed towards moms um, there's a lot of reasons for that, which we won't get into on this podcast, but like that was where a lot of these investors are coming from. They really haven't, you know, sat there and really evaluated a lot of these tools for themselves as parents. And I actually think, first of all, understanding that and being able to really paint a story of what you're trying to do and how that it's not just for your, you know, for the mom and the family, it's for you, I think was really important. And, um, I think that's another tailwind, at least for us, that was really important is that like, being stuck at home with your kids learning on Zoom, like both parents were super involved in that process. So I think, you know, while I think at the beginning, it we had to really overcome, you know, this relevance piece, like why you should care. I don't feel like that's where people are right now, actually. Like our, you know, we raise money from a lot of great investors. Dads, you know, are a huge part of not only our investor team, but our users, because I think, 
you know, we don't have to build that society now. Like we can rethink things like what did we get wrong um, before COVID and education? How can we fix it? So storytelling, being able to make sure, you know, if your end user is that investor, that is that donor, how do you make it real for them? And I believe like, you know, obviously Grasshopper is for them. So that's how we overcame it. I think we're still every day, you know, you're, you're telling your story and trying to convince other people to care. All right. So let's say you had to start a new company in the political or public affairs space today. What's uh, the problem you would go after? Oh, Eric, this is a great question. And I, as a marketer, even before campaigns, but being a campaigner, I would think a lot about organic go-to-market and like, how can we innovate on advertising tools that may have worked um, with you know, the world of Facebook and Google, who obviously are still going to stay major players, but it's getting more and more expensive to reach users online. And, you know, political campaigns are trying to stand up these marketing orgs in like a couple months sometimes and trying to reach users, you know, really fast, cheaply, efficiently. And so I would really want to build something in that space, um, particularly how to really activate your coalition online and turn them into evangelists. There's you know, a lot of products built for that in the private sector, but I think really customizing that to allow people to do more than, you know, just volunteer in the traditional sense, but how could we get them to, um, you know, be able to completely access their networks on your behalf in a really organic way. Um, and the other thing I'd probably want to work on is how to, I mean, this is probably bigger than just politics, but how to get people, you know, paid for consuming some of this content and being, you know, the recipient of these ads? Like, is there a world where we could pull from Web3 and reinvent how people consume um, digital content? And I think politics, you know, building for that in mind could be a great way to test this. And I'd really want to work on that um, advertising and micro-influencer stuff. Some really good ideas there. And if anyone listening wants to start that up, I think we'd be very interested in investing in your company from Startup Caucus. So thanks for those great ideas, Ariel. Of course. I want to see them built too. So uh, if anyone wants to build in this space, I'd love to workshop with you and share my learnings. It was a lot of fun catching up with Ariel on today's show. There's a link to Grasshopper in the show notes. If you find yourself a, a parent in that age range of kids with three to 12 years old, check them out. Remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, I ask you to please share this podcast with a friend if today's episode made you just a little bit smarter. We'll see you next time. 